Welcome to the Hope. Yes. If, uh, if you're here for the first time or second time, whatever it is, uh, welcome. And of course, all of our regulars, glad you're here today. Uh, I have been doing a series, and I've been j- kind of jumping off of the story of Joseph. Uh, If you remember, he's the guy that had the coat of many colors. That's how all our kids get to know him. And uh, I'm I'm focusing on living an extraordinary life. What what does that look like? What does that mean for believers who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And I'm going to continue that series today. We've already looked at chapters 36 and 37 from the book of Genesis. And today, of course, we're going to get into chapter 40. what I wanted to put up behind me, though, is the title, Extraordinary Living Part 3. And so if you haven't already done so, go back and watch the first two because it really does build. I've, I've discovered that God is like that. He's, he does things decent and in order, right? Even if you look at the very beginning in chapters 1 and 2 when God created everything, everything had its place, it was an order that built on whatever came first, then next, then next, then next. Well, our lives are the same way. In the, in the Christian church, we usually call this, we're sanctified. Look at your neighbors and say, I'm sanctified. Well, what does that mean? That means a daily walking in the Lord. What you had yesterday, he'll chisel some of that stuff off. You know, you're going to feel lighter. Maybe you're not lighter, because most of us who age tend to go the other way with that. But in the spirit, though, God chisels away at the stuff that doesn't belong there, if we let him. And that's key, right? Because if if we're stubborn, how many stubborn mules do we have in this church? (laughs) Look at the hands go. I should lift my hand up, too. I'm... You know, and, and God's he's telling you, look, I'm dealing with this thing, but you got to work with me. Right? Come on. Right? That should be, get a hearty amen. When God's trying to knock stuff off of you, don't just sit there and resist. No, no, I want that big barnacle on me. What are you doing, God? That's what you should say. Yeah, take it. But it is a process, and God builds. You become better each and every day. In the Spirit, I'm talking. You become better each and every day if you'll allow God to do those things He wants to do. So here's something that I've learned. When you receive a dream from God, and we still believe that sometimes God does that, amen? It doesn't mean it's going to happen next week. And I shared this, I said this, I said, God's timing is everything. God's timing, not yours. We get those two switched around sometimes. Well, Lord, I told you I needed this yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, we know how much clout that has. You need to learn to trust in the Lord and trust in his perfect timing. I had to learn this early on when I became a, a believer way back in 1981, and I know many of you weren't even born yet. Your parents weren't even born yet. I'm old. I'm not Methuselah yet, but I'm getting there. But I had to make sure when God shared something with me that he wanted me to do, I had to make sure that I didn't get ahead of him. And, and how do they put that? They, they say, don't get the cart before the horse. And I did that a lot when I was young. What happens when you get the cart before the horse? You get run over. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much uh, what happens, and it's not a fun thing to, to have happen. And when Barb and I felt the call into full-time ministry, we weren't sure what the, the Lord's timetable was, but it ended up taking another year and a half after we first heard him say, Norm, Barb, I want you to go into ministry. It was another year and a half. Now, we could have jumped out ahead of that thing 
and tried to do it in our own power, but what would that have done? We would have been a mess, right? It would have cost us dearly. But we waited on the Lord, and eventually he shared the next step. And I've talked about that quite a bit, how usually the Lord doesn't share the whole plan with you. He gives you the next step and the next step. And uh, I, I go back, forgive me for, if you don't like Hollywood, but uh, in, in uh, uh, yeah, I talked to you about it. What's his name? The Temple of Doom guy. Indiana Jones, thank you. Woo! Okay. You remember, though, where he's going after the cup? Right? And he's, he's looking down in this gigantic valley of doom. And the only way to get to the cup was there was nothing there. But he put his foot out and he, he let go. And that foot hit something and it, there's a step. Put his other foot out, another step, another step, another step. And this is how I envision God working in our lives. We are a people of faith. Everything we do is by faith. Everything. And when you take that first step, it lands. And then God gives you the next one and the next one and the next one. I wanted to show it, but I didn't get it around quick enough. But I think you get the idea. Patience is a big step in your obedience. Look at your neighbor and say, I need patience. patience. Notice I said, I need patience. (laughs) You didn't have to say that part, but it's all right. All of us need to learn to be patient, to wait on the Lord and not get ahead of him. And when we look at this story of Joseph, I mean, what a perfect example. I mean, this, this guy, God gave him this dream that someday you're going to be, basically he said, you're going to lord over everybody. They're going to bow to you, including your family. And what does he do with it? He, of course, he runs out and tells everybody, hey, you're going to bow to me. And, and you know how that went, because we already went through that. And then what? You know, as we've gone through this progression, we, we saw how he was sold into slavery. They sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar used him as his head of the household. And then, of course, he was accused of wrongdoing by Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar did what? Threw him in prison. Woohoo! And that's where we're at. And we're going to get there in just a minute. We're going to talk about this. And by the way, let me just say this. When I put these messages together, I never know how long they're going to be. This one's going to be a little longer. i got a couple more weeks, all right? So just bear with me, but realize, say this with me, God is building precept upon precept, and I'm going with it. All right, so that's, that's where we're at here as we go through this series. Sometimes the only thing a believer has to cling to is his or her faith and calling. I want you to get this. When we were first challenged to go into ministry, it meant leaving everything behind that was safe. I had a good job. I worked at General Motors. My brother retired from there uh, five, six years ago. I, would, I came in a year after him, so I would have already been retired having a full pension from that wonderful place. And it, it was. It was a very good job. I loved my work. But when I left that behind, that meant we had no safety net. We had no retirement. We had no income other than what we could manage working locally. And I had, we had four children, four boys, Let me just say, there's some pressure there. And maybe some of you are already, you're there now. You're like, yeah, that sounds like my life. Got all these kids and no income and, you know, just trying to make ends meet every week. We had to learn to trust in a big way. And I believe that that's what God wanted us to do. As we left Lansing, which is where we raised our kids, at least in the initial stage, 
When we left Lansing to go to Bible college, we left everything behind, our family, our friends, our safety net. And we only had one who we could trust. And I'm telling you what, it'll, it'll put you to the task. I cannot tell you how many mornings or evenings we were both on our faces going, God, help. Anybody else been there, done that? All right. But let me say this, and let me add this to what I just said. That's a good place to be. When you go to him, instead of whining and crying about what you don't have or what you do need, go back to Matthew 6.33. What's it say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, meaning the Lord will take care of you. But when we step out, and you may not be called into full-time ministry, but God has a way of putting you in a place even when you're not going to be a pastor or a minister. He puts you in a place where you need Him. And it's always a choice. Do you, do you go after Him or do you try to do things on your own? And that's where I find people messing up. You want to partner with God. You want His help in whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing. So I don't care who you are. Partner with the Lord. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you. Let Him fill you with His Spirit so that you're in tune with what He has for you. I wanted to look at, before I get back to Joseph, I wanted to look at another Bible hero of faith just for a minute because he represents what I just shared with you. His name is Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. First Kings 19.19, 19, I want to read from the New Living Testament, and it says this. So Elijah, Elijah was the first major prophet. This guy had it going. He had the power of God with him. He faced off with 450 priests of Baal. And he won. 450 to 1. That's some odds. And after all of that, after everything God did there, what did he do? He ran and he hid. Oh, Lord, I'm all by myself. What am a guy supposed to do? There's no more prophets. I'm the only one left. I'm paraphrasing. And what did the Lord say? No, you're not. I have another remnant. I have 7,000 in the wings. Powerful prophets who are doing the things I've called them to do. You are not in this alone. And of course, we know from the book of Hebrews that it says, God will never leave you. Never forget who you are. He was not alone. He was just having a pity party. And then God says, I want you to anoint your su successor. <laughs> successor. And who was the successor? Elijah. So we have Elijah first, and then Elijah. And Elijah is going to Elijah right now in this, in this, in this. All right, it's up there. So Elijah went and found Elijah, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elijah was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then he walked away. This dude's incredible. I'm talking about Elijah. He just walks up, takes his cloak off, throws it over the boy, and walks off. Really? What an oddball. You know what I've noticed? The people that seem to have the most power from the Lord are the weirdest people. <laughs> That's just my own personal experience with it, okay? But man, they are some oddballs. So this guy comes in and he does that. And of course, 
I'm sure it took this young man by surprise, but what I want you to understand is when he did that, there was a symbolic meaning. And they knew it at the time. They knew this, that when someone throws their cloak over you like this, that means that they're sharing their power with you. Transferring it, if you will. So that's what Elijah was saying to this young man who was behind this uh, team of oxen. Elijah left the oxen standing there. He ran after Elijah and he said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and my mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Now in the original Hebrew, Elijah most, li- or Elijah most likely said, Please let me go and say goodbye to my family. All right? So he wasn't, he wasn't being disrespectful by any means. He just wanted to say goodbye, which I get it, you know? Who wouldn't? And what did Elijah say? He said, go back, but think about what I've done to you. He wanted him to realize the brevity of this situation, how important it was. And as much as the young man wanted to go back and say goodbye to his family, which he should, that's, that's respect. I mean, we're told to honor our father and mother. But I think what he was alluding to was, what's more important to you? Family or what God wants to do? And listen, sometimes we are challenged. I'm not telling you to abandon your family. Don't get me wrong here. I'll use my own experience as, a, as the example here today. But when God challenges you to do something, sometimes you've got to leave stuff behind. It might be family. It might be friends. It might be a lifestyle. It might be something that's comfortable. <laughs> and you really do have to step out in faith in order to go to the next level that God wants to take you. That's where Elijah was. He, he was in that place where he had to decide, all right, am I going after this thing with, with my all? Or am I just going to, ooh, I'll just sample the water with my little toesy. You know what I mean? Dump, jump in head first or just test the water. And I think that's what, this is my feeling with all this. This is what I feel like Elijah was saying to the boy. Look, son, I'm calling you into a ministry that's going to change the world. And the power of God's going to come on you in a way that people are not going to understand, but they're going to see God through you. And there's no place for you just to be tepid and, and just testing the water. You've got to be willing to jump in, head first, all in, as one of the brothers just said. I like what Jesus said in, and I don't mean to jump around, but I think it's important, Luke 9, 62, and he, he just said this, he said, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back, huh, he was referring to this passage right here that we're studying. He was looking back, and he was saying, look, you, <laughs> if you're going to serve me, you already said it. You have to be? Nothing can be more important to you than your relationship with the Lord. Verse 21. So Elijah returned to his oxen. Oh, boy. And he slaughtered them. You know, can I put this in a modern vernacular? So you've got like a, uh, let's say, I don't know, 19, what's a cool year? What's a cool year for a Shelby? 67, all right, you got a 67 Shelby convertible, is that cool? Probably worth a million dollars. And you're driving that around and God comes and, hey, I want you to join me. Come on my team. And you go and what do you do? You burn your car. Or you put, no, better yet, you put it in one of those crushers. You, you carry. Are you preaching this message today? 
She said, give it away. But what happens if you give it away? It's still out there. You with me? All right, that's where I was going, see. That's why I'm up here and you're right there. <laughs> I'm messing with her. She knows it. We, we, we banter. That's a modern thing. Let me finish what it says and then I'll get back to us. He slaughtered his oxen for crying out loud. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Obviously, this took some time, right? You're not going to just kill the oxen and do all the stuff you have to do there if you're an animal. You know what I mean. It takes time. Then he had to cook it. How long does it take to cook an ox? I don't know. I mean, honestly, probably a couple days. He fed the, the townspeople, which also meant that he probably went, give, gave his mom and dad a kiss and said his goodbyes to his family. I think that's a good thing to do. And then he had to hoof it and find that, that other prophet that took off on him. We, the Bible doesn't say if he waited or not. Now, that's a lot of paraphrasing on my part, but I just, I'm trying to get you to see these people live real lives, just like we do. And sometimes when God calls you and when he calls me, we are required to leave certain things behind. Why? Very important that you understand this. Elijah destroyed everything from his past willingly. And he did this because his identity changed. He was no longer Elijah. Now he was God's chosen man of God. And everything was going to be different. And if he hadn't destroyed all of his, that was his income, if you look at it like that. It was like me leaving General Motors. And by the way, I signed an agreement when I left GM that I could never come back. Very similar to what this young man did. He wanted to make sure that if things didn't go just the way he wanted them to, you know, testing the waters, that he couldn't go back to the oxen and his plow because they were gone. Does this make sense? Are you getting what I'm trying to share here? Elijah accepted this call on his life along with his identity change. That meant that when he left his hometown, he had nothing left there to go back to and that is sometimes how we in the faith we have to operate that's how God works when Barb and I moved our family from Lansing to Springfield and I had shared this a week ago that we had just built our, a brand new house it was a beautiful place our trees had finally started growing the grass was green that took a while because we started with sod and that stuff's horrible to get going I had a quadraphonic stereo. For those of you who are uh, audio enthusiasts, you understand what I'm saying. I had some nice equipment. Uh, the next neighborhood could hear my stereo when I wanted them to. That was my pride and joy. I'd come home from work and I'd crank my albums up. And I sold all of that. Barb told me the story. I wasn't there. The two hippies came. She had a garage sale. Two hippies came. And they saw my album collection. I was one of those guys that I was really serious about keeping them clean. Every time I used them, I had to clean them, you know, with that little spongy thing. And there wasn't a lick of dust on them. No scratches, no nothing. When they saw my collection, and there had to have been at least 300 albums in there, their eyes got this big, and they're like, oh, how much? And she goes, make me an offer. I think I got like 30 bucks for them. But it was important that that part of me wasn't available anymore. Because I was new. I was, I was new in the Lord. God was doing something different. And he wanted me to recognize that I couldn't go back. And when we sold the house, 
we couldn't go back. There was nothing to go back to. And, and that's a whole other story I'll share for another time. But it was a miracle when our house sold. God was in this. But it was important that we went through these open doors. Barb gave up her sewing stuff. Yeah, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. She had a gazillion things. She had a serger. She had all kinds of cool stuff. Back then, she had one of those uh, computerized, had all the, like, five different kinds of stuff going into it. I don't even know what you call it, but it doesn't matter. What? Embroidery. She had all of that, and she got rid of it for peanuts, for pennies on the dollar. And we went to Springfield, Missouri to get our to get educated. And we left all of that behind. I just want you to understand that sometimes there is a sacrifice when you follow the Lord. It's not always easy. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. If somebody tells you, you know, when you follow the Lord, you'll be blessed the rest of your life. And I agree with that. But that doesn't mean anything's going to be easy. In fact, to the contrary, I believe you will go through more pain and suffering than you probably would have had you not followed him. But the reward is so much richer because in the end you receive eternal life and God is going to give you some things that you never even knew existed. Heaven is a place filled with wonder. And we're going to get to experience that someday. So put your treasures in heaven like Jesus said. Not in the things that are going to rust and decay. Hmm. An extraordinary life fulfills the person's God purpose. And that's what I'm challenging you to today. Live an extraordinary life. All right, we are going to jump into chapter 40, beginning with verse 1. Again, Joseph is in prison. Sometime later, Joseph has now been in prison a long time. Sometime later means he's been there a while. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, what was a cupbearer? Were they important? Probably like really important because you put your faith in that person that they would keep you alive. And if your enemies tried to poison you, the cupbearer would go first. That was the idea behind it. Pharaoh's cupbearer and chief baker, I think we all know what that is, offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the, in the, yeah, that's right, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. Now, remember last week, we talked about Joseph's position. He got to prison thinking that, oh boy. But God showed favor on him, and everything he did flourished, so the, the warden finally said, I don't know why I'm fighting this. Why don't you run this place? That doesn't happen today. All right, so I, I think we could honestly say this was a coincidence, or not a coincidence, a miracle. Yeah, thank you. I point out here that the two men were very high up in Pharaoh's uh, government. How many think that's a coincidence? Does God work in coincidences? No. There are no coincidences in God's economy. I just like calling them what they are. They're miracles. They're God-ordained miracles. And you might find yourself in a place where you need things to happen that quick. Maybe it's a court hearing. Maybe it's something you're dealing with. Whatever it might be, God can move that quickly. There are no coincidences. When God's ready to let it happen, it's going to happen. And I believe these two men were there so that Joseph could meet them, and eventually he would be introduced to 
to the top dog by one of them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. So I, I want to point out here, Joseph was paying attention to what people around him were going through. Maybe that's one of the things that made him uh, so likable, if you will, because he cared. And how should we act? Man, we, we've got to show an interest in the people around us. We can't just keep going around like this. That's supposed to be blinders, like this. You know? I mean, it's easy to do that, but that's not what God's called us to do. We're supposed to be a light. You don't put a bushel over it. You, you let it shine. Let people know that you care. Ask questions. When you see somebody with a frown, what should you do? Ask them, what's, how's it going, man? And, and don't be like those guys that are like, you don't want an answer back. You don't want to just hear, oh, that's fine. Oh, okay. No. Pay attention. If you really see that they're struggling with something, then come back and say, really? You know, sometimes people just need a little prodding. They just need to know that you care. And I said this last week, we should invest in others. It's very important. And I believe that's what Joseph did here. Second, I don't believe that every dream has a meaning. Nor is it from God. And I'm sorry if that wrecks your theology. But I think sometimes we, we eat some things that we shouldn't have. Or I mean, some of us are so medicated that we... I won't even go there. So make sure that's not what it is, okay? When, when you think you hear from God through a dream. And they replied, both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams, listen to this, interpreting dreams is God's business. That's my highlight. And Joseph replied, go ahead, tell me your dreams. Go ahead. I'm here, man. I'm listening. I'm an ear. I want to know what, what you feel like uh, the dream was saying. So they told him. And he said to them, God interprets dreams. Now they know. When you have a dream and you feel it has meaning, what should you do? Seek the Holy Spirit. Ask. Ask the Lord, Lord, what does this dream mean? You know, continue reading in, your, in, your, uh, in the, the Bible, the Scriptures, because sometimes He'll show you through the Word of God what that dream means. And when dreams are from God, you're going to sense an urgency. And I always call this in my gut. Sometimes you just, and you're nowhere, all right? Sometimes you just know, you have an uneasiness, if you will, not a bad one, but just something saying, hey, this has purpose, this has meaning. Don't just let it go. And you need to seek the Lord until you discover the dream's meaning. That make sense? Easy enough. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom. And soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding pharaoh's wine cup in my hand so i took a cluster of grapes and i squeezed the juice into the cup then i placed the cup in the pharaoh's hand so this is the baker or i'm sorry the the, the cup bearer saying this this is what the dream means joseph said and notice joseph did not hesitate he must have been prayed up for him to shoot back like he did he said, the three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. I want to come back to what he just said here in a minute. The other guy's news was not as pleasant. 
When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastry stacked on my head. Uh Uh-oh. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. (laughs) I feel bad for this guy. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. And, And I don't know how he put this, all right? How do you present news like this? The three baskets also represent three days, he said. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. How many know that's painful? Then the birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Notice nothing said after this in the scripture. Could be the, the baker blew up at Joseph. Really? That's what you got? I mean, I don't know what he said. Or it could be that he just listened to him and went, oh, no. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later. He prepared a banquet for all of his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Really? Everybody say it. Poor Joseph. Let me go back. I highlighted this. This is, this is me, all right? This, if you're pastor, I just, as I studied this out, as I read this, I went, huh, what if? This is the first place we see Joseph doing something that he shouldn't have. What did he do? Can you see it? Anybody but me? He opened, he tried to open the door. Huh. Now, if he'd left this thing alone, could it be that God would have worked it out sooner? I don't know. But I feel like he messed up. He wasn't patient. And he tried to force that door open. Excuse me, just a moment. I'm getting close to the end. It's important that we wait for the Lord to open the door. And I, I think as much as we've, we've studied this guy out, he did everything right up to this point. But here he messed up. He tried to open the door. And, and I'm not going to say that that's what caused the timing because we're going to find out next week that it had been a long time in between this and when the Pharaoh calls for Joseph. So we'll get there next week. So wait on the Lord to open the door. Say that with me. Wait on the Lord to open the door or close the door, whatever that might be. In other words, don't force anything. If you do, it's going to equal failure. As I begin to close, hear this part, and and I, I believe this came from the Lord, but he said this to me. It may seem that God has you on a path to nowhereville. And that was the word he gave me. I don't know that that's an actual thing, but you may feel like you're on a path to nowhere. But the Lord shared that like Joseph, you're right where you are supposed to be. And the Lord is simply getting you into a position to receive a miracle. Don't give up. Joseph didn't give up. Not that he had a choice. 
But he didn't give up. And, and I, I believe his life is representative of how we might find ourselves today locked up. We're in a place where it just seems like there's nowhere to go. There's no escape for us. But I want you to understand that is not true. As long as you make, and I keep saying this, as long as you make God number one in your life, and you put him first, you seek him, all of the other things are going to be added. He's going to not only help you to achieve the purpose he has for you, but that's going to include so many blessings. Not just being intimate with him, which is, should be enough for us, but there will be other things that your family will recognize and see that God is showing favor on you. And, and he's doing things in your life that only can be accomplished through God. Don't give up. Now I saw this, this I'm going to share this little uh, quote. This was from a blog that I saw, and when, it, when I read it, I just went, oh my. This is perfect for this Sunday. It, it, it was Glorify App Official. I don't even know what that means, but that's where I found it. And it said this, and this is for you. Would you stand with me? This is, I believe, the Holy Spirit, after I read it, the Holy Spirit said to me, Norm, this is for the church when you share this message. Hear this. God's timing and your timing are different. And anything significant God is going to do in your life is going to take longer than you want but it's going to be better than you ever imagined. So the decision we have to make when things don't happen the way we want them to happen, and when we want them to happen, we must say, God, I choose to trust your timing because your timing is always perfect. I believe this is for you. Every person that's here online watching today I don't care what you're going through. If you're trusting that the Lord is God of your life and things might not have worked out the way you expected them to, but right now you're, you're recognizing something, God's not done with you. You just have to wait for that perfect timing of the Lord to come to pass. This might be a miracle that you're waiting for. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to really identify what it is. Or it could be just an answer to a prayer that you've lifted up to the Lord. It may be that you're waiting for a dream or a vision like, like uh, what Joseph had to come to pass. You know, 15 years ago or so, a, a godly woman, a prophetess in this church, her name was Sandy Mazel. Sandy had a word for us and she said your wealth is beneath you that hasn't come to pass yet I'm still waiting but I'm trusting that God's got this whatever that thing is and I had all kinds of ideas at the time and I tried to go through doors sometimes I'm, I'm gonna admit it I tried to open doors and, and guess what happened nothing I believe that is still going to come to pass, but it's the Lord's timing, not mine. No matter whether you're waiting for something to come to pass or in need of a miracle, get this last part. Be patient and wait for the Lord. How many of you like patience? Thank you. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. You know what the worst thing is that I consider to have to pray for? I just said it. Patience. I do not like praying for patience because whenever I do, the Lord always gives me an opportunity to prove it. I don't like that. However, I like what's on the other side of patience. Fulfillment. God's blessing. I love that stuff. As we're going to see with Joseph's life soon. But if we don't have the first part, we're not going to get the second. 
I have a prayer that I, I felt like the Lord gave me to pray with you. I want you to pray it with me if, you, if you're inclined to. Obviously, this is a choice. And I, I felt like the Lord was just saying, look, it's a simple prayer, but it's a prayer of faith. And we need to pray this together. So are you ready for this? This is only if you're in agreement with what I've been saying and you, you put your faith and trust in the Lord and so on. Here's what he gave me. Say this with me. Mighty God, help me to live by faith and cling to the calling that you have placed on my life. Lord, teach me to be patient and wait for you to move. I love you and I choose to trust you and your perfect timing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can give the Lord a hand. I, I really believe for some of us, this is going to set us free. Now, what's next? Guess. You're going to go through some testing. All right? And I know we're all like, no, I don't want testing. Yes, you do. Because testing makes you better, stronger. The glory of God is in you more so as you go through these trials. He refines you like silver and gold. And sometimes that's painful. Right? Is there anybody here that isn't going through something that's a little painful or a lot of painful? It's all right. Just keep looking up because that's where your source is. That's where the God that loves you, your Heavenly Father, He's up there. Jesus said, I am seated at the right hand of the Father and I am praying for you that you will be a success, that you're going to make it. <laughs> Jesus is praying for you. Look at your neighbors. Hey, Jesus is praying for you. That's in the Bible. We're not alone. And he wants us to succeed. So whatever it is you're facing, you got this. Got time. I, I just want to I, I make sure before we leave today, I t I've talked a lot of Christian lingo today. But before we leave, I don't know if there's somebody here today that would say, Pastor Norm, I don't know if I'm ready for what the Lord has for me next. I, I've never put my trust in Jesus. I've never prayed any kind of prayer where I've invited him to have his way with me, but I'd like to do that. I just want to pray a little, a, a simple prayer, but I believe it has profound effect if that's you. So just with heads bowed just for a moment, if you're here today, you'd say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I need Jesus. I want to, I want to invite him to come into my life today and to take over. If that's you, would you lift your hand up real quick so I can see it? Yep, hands going up all over. Thank you, you can put them down. Anybody else? Hallelujah, a bunch of hands went up. And, and we like, we're a family here of believers, we're, and we pray according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, well actually 9, 9 through 14, but anyway, the, the, the gist of it is 9 and 10, that's our prayer. I want you to pray this with me as though you're speaking to the Son of God himself. Because Jesus said, wherever two or more gather in my name, I will be there. I believe he's here. He's hearing your heart beat right now. He loves you that much. <laughs> and when you pray this prayer, and many of us have already done this, it changes you. Like Elijah, your identity changes. Your very being changes you are now God's son or daughter. And he's going to empower you to get victory in this life. So I want you to pray this if you raise your hand and say this as though Jesus were right in front of you. Say it loud enough for your own ears to hear you. And everyone join us, please. Heavenly Father, I'm desperate for your kingdom. My life's a mess. I recognize it. And I can't do this by myself. Today, I confess my sins 
and I ask you, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Make me a new person. Give me a new ID. Born again. Child of God. Servant of the Most High. I believe, Jesus, that if I were the only one living, the only one that needed forgiveness, you would have died for me. So I pray today as though that were true, which I believe it is. And I ask you, Lord, help me to live my days for you. I give you all that I am and all that I have. Now place your spirit in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm sure our brothers have got the books ready. If you don't have, it's a little green booklet called The Start of Something Wonderful. If you don't have one of these, please grab one on your way out. And this is just an introduction to the Christian faith, 26 steps uh, on your journey to what God's doing in your life. And, and it'll give you scripture references and everything to go with it. So it's all clearly defined by my old pastor, Dave Williams. Uh, they're free. Take advantage of that. We love you. Again, next Sunday is potluck. And we're also going to see where Joseph ends up finally, or hopefully we will, Lord willing. And uh, love you guys. Again, meet the pastor after this in the children's room. Uh, give us about 10 minutes so the kids can get out and then we'll be in there. So God bless.